Welcome, my friends, to episode number four. Pour yourself a quarantini, sit back on your favorite chaise lounge, and get ready for the fun. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to episode number four. We have producer Chad sitting on the uh, the board today. Chad is an older soul. He uh, is helping run everything and and produce that really smooth uh, intro for our show today. And our show is going to be a little bit different. And where with why it's going to be different today is because I, I have a passion for several things. And over the coming weeks and months and years of hopefully producing this podcast. Um, you'll be able to get a sense of the things that I think are valuable, the things that I think are valuable to the conservative movement, and really where my heart is. And this particular episode is going to focus on mental health. And I'm going to share some stories um, about my own struggles with mental health. I'm going to share some stories about some of the interactions that I had as a first responder, as a firefighter, as a paramedic. And then we're going to talk to Luis Rivera. Luis Rivera is a a former Navy SEAL, okay, he is currently the operations manager of the Mighty Oaks Foundation. And we're going to talk to him. We're going to talk about his journey. We're going to talk about how uh, Mighty Oaks does what they do, what we need and what we can do to help them. There are people that are listening to this um, that are people of means that that may have the ability to give uh, money, time, effort, and, and, and whatnot to support the Mighty Oaks Foundation. So we're going to get into that. So First and foremost, uh, I just want to say thank you. First three episodes have been very well received. A lot of people are listening. Please make sure to hit that like button. Please make sure to subscribe. Please make sure to tell your friends. So on the onset today, when I say my name is Mike and I struggle with mental health issues, I think there's a stigma around that for a lot of people, especially men. Any of you who have known me for any amount of time would say, yes, we've known you've had mental health issues. (laughs) Well, that. Touche. Well played on you to be able to spot that good clinical eye for you. But I can tell you this, I, I grew up in a time where we were still, and, and through no fault of my family, my parents, society, uh, we grew up in a time where mental health wasn't something that was really addressed. Um, you were a man, you act like a man, men don't cry, men don't show pain, um, and, and certainly we didn't talk about going to a psychiatrist, psychologist. We didn't talk about mental health. We didn't talk about all of the things that went with it because there was a very broad stigma. And so I started noticing a lot of mental health issues when I was in the fire service, when I was uh, a paramedic. I have seen people die. I have seen people shot. I have seen people stabbed, heart attacks, strokes, burns, pretty much everything uh, that a person can do to another person or a person can do to themselves. I very vividly remember in, I believe it's 2008, running a series of 24-hour shifts where every single call that I made was a dead body. Uh, some were in different stages. They'd been there a day, two, three, four, whatever the case may be. Uh, several calls where people have been burned. You, you will never, ever understand until you smell the smell of burnt human flesh. It's a horrible, horrible smell, and once you smell it, it is it is something that is recognizable for the rest of your life. So I've seen things, and I've been places, and I didn't have the ability at the time, and I didn't know the resources at the time to help me in my mental health. I was very fortunate as a firefighter 
that some of the things that I had seen, I remember going to a fire, a group of three people had died in the fire and you know we're obviously working around their bodies trying to put the fire out trying to see if there's any other victims and i can very vividly remember for a time in a season waking up in the middle of the night this is days this is weeks past the actual event and seeing those people in my bedroom seeing their outlines seeing their burnt bodies in my bedroom i can remember a time when specifically what always would bother me was children children always always got to me i don't know why i'm not saying that you know if you're an adult you don't deserve to live or anything like that but children always hit me especially uh hard and i do remember a time where we had a child and basically her face was eaten off by a pit bull and i just kept having visions of that i just kept having and and i I didn't know who to talk to. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that hope was not available or that, that that help was not available. There was. There were plenty of things, but I had never taken the opportunity to research that. I had never taken the opportunity to look into that. It was available. It was something that I shied away from. And, and in 2017, um, my wife and I were expecting a little baby boy, and that expectation wasn't met. Uh, around about 16, almost 17 weeks into... Uh, gestational period we lost my son Charlie and I began to spiral out of control and I think the reason why I bring this up and I think the reason why this message needs to go out there is because I saw so many positive things as a result of getting mental help that I wish I would have done it sooner I wish I would have reached out to a counselor I wish I would have reached out to to somebody that could help me just talk through my feelings talk through my issues talk through the things that i had rattling around in my brain to better help me understand me and help me to process all of these feelings there was a time in a season where i was on medication and i make no bones about that that is not something i am ashamed of there have been a times and seasons where i have had different counselors and I'll tell you what, definitely they're not a sponsor of the show, but BetterHelp, I've had tremendous success. If you are looking for a counselor, that's a great avenue because you can do it all um, online. You can do the, the face-to-face meetings on like a Zoom-style type deal. Um, I can tell you this, there is so much help. There are so many resources. There are so many things available. And for me, it was gaining the ability to understand that it's okay to talk about this. It's okay to say, I'm not okay. When people ask you, how you doing, man? Oh, I'm doing fine. <laughs> Are you really? And it, and it took some very bold friends of mine that looked at me and said, you're not fine. It took my wife, God bless her, to look at me and say, you're not fine. So when we talk about mental health today, and, and our second segment is going to fi- is going to to uh, introduce us to Luis Rivera, who is a, a Navy SEAL. This guy has Purple Hearts. This guy is is amazing. He's seen things that I can't even fathom in the theater of war, and he struggled with his own issues. People are dying. You talk about the COVID lockdowns. You talk about being cut off from people. You talk about being cut off from friends and family and loved ones. I'm thinking about 
you know, the, the, the World War II vet or the Vietnam vet that's sitting in the house all alone, struggling with all of those images, all of those pictures, all of those thoughts, all of their emotions. And, and the only brief respite they would get was the kids would come over and the grandkids would come over every now and again, and it would give them that break, right? That's not happening right now. That's not something that's going on. So when we talk about mental health, there's a couple things, and, and I'm not a doctor, I'm not giving out medical advice. I am telling you things that have worked for me. Number one, talk to somebody. Talk to somebody, reach out to a counselor, reach out to a psychiatrist, a psychologist. There are so many different low or no cost ways that you can do that. Approach a clergy member from your church or your community. There are so many things that just sitting down, you would be amazed because I was. I don't come from a generation that was very quick to embrace mental health and embrace mental health issues and talk through our problems. Suck it up, Buttercup. If that was, if that, if I could basically put the the entire first part of my life into perspective, it was suck it up, Buttercup. One, or just pray about it. And please don't misunderstand me. The power of prayer is amazing. The power of God through Christ Jesus is amazing. I get that. However, there are times when you just want to sit face to face and talk with somebody. There's times when you want to sit and have somebody that's completely out of your loop and your atmosphere to say, no, 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 those feelings make total sense. Well, maybe these feelings don't make sense. Let's talk through those. And you talk through them and you begin to create plans. You begin to create all the different things that can help you. One of the things that I found amazing in the power of is journaling. Being able to put down your thoughts, being able to put down your feelings, being able to keep this and then look back on it. Look back on it and say, man, it's amazing where I've come from. It's amazing where I'm going to. There's so much help out there. I am encouraging every single one of you who are listening. If things are affecting you, whether it's COVID lockdown, whether it's political things, whether it's, uh, you know, the death of a loved one, whether it's divorce, whether it's any sort of mental pain that you have, there is hope. There is hope, but it's going to take a small step forward. It's going to take the initiative to say, I think I may have a problem and I need some help. When you do that and you reach out, you would be amazed at how much help there is for you. I did not know there was an entire world of people out there that wanted to help me deal with the grief of losing my firstborn son. I did not know that there was an entire group of people out there that were ready to support me. My family was there. My family is amazing. My mother, my father, my brothers, my wife, my, my in-laws, my, my, my cousin, you know, the people that are in my life are amazing to support me and to give me the help that I need. But sometimes you just need a third party. Sometimes you need somebody that's disconnected. Reach out. Don't suffer in silence. If you're listening to this in your law enforcement, or you're a first responder, you're a firefighter, you're a paramedic, you're, you're, you're military, you're a veteran, and there are things swimming around in your mind right now that are causing you to doubt the value of your life, to doubt the value of what you do, 
pay attention to the end of this podcast because we're going to have some phone numbers. We're going to have some resources. We're going to talk specifically with PTSD uh, and and veterans and law enforcement and firefighters and all of that uh, with the Mighty Oaks Foundation. There's several different resources that we want to give you, but I can tell you this. You have meaning. You have intrinsic value, and you are worth it. So we're going to go on a journey today. We're going to go on a journey to discover some help for mental health. We're going to have a very brief, a uh, very frank, I should say, not a brief, because nothing is ever brief on the Mike is Always Right podcast. I'll take you 45, maybe 50 minutes, if you let me. We're going to talk about help. We're going to talk about avenues of help, but we're going to talk about ways that we can get clear, good mental health so that we can be a better place. So we're going to get to our second segment. Hey, did you know that you can actually support the Mike is Always Right podcast? Did you know that there are options on Anchor to actually support this podcast for as little as 99 cents a month? I said this last podcast, hey, you know, skip the gordita, support a grajita. Just for 99 cents a month, you can actually support this program, support what we're doing. Some of the things that we're going to be doing in the coming weeks and months, we're going to be talking about Second Amendment. We're going to be talking about our local, our federal, our state elections. We're going to be talking about abortion versus adoption. We're going to have a great discussion about that, listen to some experts on that. We're going to talk to some of our veterans and understand their experiences and how we can leverage that and what that really means to be an American and what it means to be to have freedom. We're going to talk about immigration, a very hot-button issue right now. But we can only continue to do this stuff with, one, your listenership. I so value the fact that you listen to us. Thank you so much for listening to this. Thank you so much for spreading the word. Thank you so much for liking and subscribing. But we also can do this if, and producer Chad is, is shaking his head. Yes, Chad. Why are you wearing sunglasses inside? Like, we're literally in my closet and, and Chad, you never took off your sunglasses, and it's raining outside. I, we'll get to that later. Producer Chad is, is an odd duck. Good guy, but definitely an odd duck. You can give for as little as 99 cents a month to help support this podcast, help support the message, and get that message out. So we're going to take a break. We'll be right back. Thank you very much. Well, hey, everybody, welcome back to the Mike is Always Right podcast. Joining me today, I have the intense honor of introducing Luis Rivera. Luis is a former Navy SEAL. Uh, the, these are just the accolades, and we're going we're gonna to talk about the person that he is. We're going to talk about all that, but you go through the list, Purple Heart, you go through two Bronze Stars with a special V for Combat Valor. You go through the career, and we'll talk about how long uh, you were in the service, but I just want to want to welcome you. Luis, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate, appreciate being here. Thanks for having me. So we were able to connect about a week ago, and the conversation that we had was not a conversation, I'm going to tell you honestly, that I was expecting. I, I had done a little bit of research, and uh, Luis, on top of everything else that, that you've done in your career and all of this stuff, you are the operating manager for the Mighty Oaks Foundation, correct? 
Right. Yeah. For the program side. Correct. So the, the Mighty Oaks Foundation, the program side that, that is an outreach to people, to people struggling with PTSD for our veterans, for our law enforcement. It, it is a very unique program. It is a very unique um, opportunity for people to get healing, not only mental health, not only those things of that nature, but also doing it through the prism of Christ and doing it through the message and love of a savior, right? So we, we hear all of the, you know, the, the frog man stories, you went through buds, it has such a high turnover rate for people who come in, you know, you have a, maybe a couple hundred that come in and maybe 10 make it, you know, there, there's all these different statistics, but when it boils down, you know, what's your story? Where, where did you come from? Really? Who are you? Let, let's start with that. Who are you? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, well, I was born in Puerto Rico and, uh, when I was around six years old, my parents moved to Louisiana, Southeast Louisiana. And I was raised there until I was 17. I joined the Navy when I was 17. My first job in the Navy was, a I was designated submarine. So I was a fast attack submarine, uh, a radioman, uh, for two, for two on two different submarines. That was about 10 years. But within that, there was a small break of a few months where I, when I actually went to Bud's the first time and I ended up quitting. Um, and I went back to my next submarine. And uh, the uh, in about 2000 or so, I ended up going to Bud's the second time. And that's when uh, I was successful. And, uh, you know, shortly after that, 9-11 happened. And then I ended up going to... Um, my uh, my first platoon, and that took me all, all the way up until 2015 of March when I retired. Wow! So born born in Puerto Rico, coming to Louisiana, that had to have been a, a, a huge you know change, right? Going from this beautiful island to you know the the swamp, and and God bless them all in in, in Louisiana. It's it's a it's a place that has a unique beauty all of its own. What, what was the thing that propelled you into military service? Was it, you had family members, was it friends? What, what was, what was the drive for that? I'm just curious. Uh, primarily, I think I just wanted to get out of Southeast Louisiana. Uh, I was actually a dairy clerk at, at a Winn-Dixie and uh, started there when I was 15. Um, wow. And I, I knew the one thing I did not want to do was stay there. I would I would watch uh, older men uh, just in that area, not going anywhere, and that's not what I wanted to do. So I just wanted to get out. I, I originally wanted to just join a service, any service, and the Army recruiter came around, but then the Navy recruiter came around later and uh, had a better offer for me. So that's right. That's what I took. <laughs> You know, you know, it's funny is I, I have a cousin who uh, was a chief warrant officer. He is he is my hero in the army. He flew Cobra helicopters. And to, to hear him talk about it, it was a very same, very similar. You know, I wanted to do something. I wanted to get out of where I was. But his was the direct opposite. The army recruiter seemed to be, you know, uh, waving the magic wand of, of what he wanted to do. So you 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 say that you got into to the military. You got into it to, you know, kind of escape where you were at. Um, talk to me about the, the first time that you went to bud. So you decide you wanted to do this. You had, you had been on a sub, you had said, you know, what was some of the lessons that maybe propelled you through the second time you went that you learned through the first time? 
Yeah, I, I definitely. After five years, you learn a lot, you grow a lot. I would say the biggest difference between the first time and the second time was my commitment level and my maturity level. Um, there was when I went through the first time, I was freshly married. I was making a lot of decisions that were that would that would eventually impact me later on. Um, but I was just more mature going around the second time. I was more committed. And, and did it did it feel like the second time that you did it that there there wasn't going to be a third time that you know like th- this is going to happen? Did, did you feel like having gone through it the first time you had a lot more confidence the second time? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I think it's easy to say uh, that uh, you know burn the ships. I'm not I'm not turning around. I think what's what's more accurate for me to say was I'm going to give it all I got. And if the instructor staff, if the personnel there say, okay, you don't, you don't cut the mustard, then I'm going to believe them and just go away. Wow. What, a, what an awesome, I mean, really that mentality, right? I'm, I'm going to give everything that I have. And if it's not enough in this realm, what else is there, right? I can only give everything and, and you gave everything. So so now you got your trident, right? You're you're mm-hmm. you're a, a fire breathing, you know, uh, a frog man, and and nine eleven happens. Okay, so nine eleven happens. You you had to have known. Okay, life is going to be different after this, right? Yeah, I remember when it happened. I was in the desert. We were going through one of our last training blocks before I enter my platoon, and I remember waking up. Uh, for breakfast, looking at the TV and watching the seven, second airplane um, hit. And uh, and I thought to myself, uh, man, someone might have just woke up a sleeping giant. That's the exact, those are the exact words that I said. Someone just woke up a sleeping giant. And, and, and then it was not only from a, from a sleeping giant, America, the fight for terror, you know, the fight against terrorism and all of that. But now on a, on a deep personal level for you, now it's time to go to work, right? Not to say you weren't working before, but this is a whole new ball game, right? This is, this is a whole new life for you now that we're in a wartime setting versus before, correct? Uh, yeah, man, I, I, wish I, could, I wish I could say that and, and uh, think to myself that... Uh, um, the, that those were those things were going through my head. I, I got to tell you that when I left the submarine community and I made this conscious decision in my late twenties to go to Buds, that was in my mind. Like I was ready to um, sh- have this shift in life that um, really required more of me than than what was required when I was in the submarine community. Like I was dedicated and committed the moment I went to Buds, and I was expecting things like this. Um, not knowing that 9-11 was going to happen for sure. But just, but just knowing in the back of your mind, this is always a possibility, right? This is, That's right. That's this right. is where yeah. we're headed. Mm-hmm. Wow. That is amazing. So talk, talk to me about it. And, and I, you know, you don't have to get into as, as, you know, gruesome details or anything like that, but your experience, you know, in, in the seals, your experience, you know, so if I'm hearing you correctly, you're, you're looking at, close to 15 years before you retired, right? From, from that point, when you graduate from Buds, 9-11 happens, you, you, you eventually retire. That is a lot of time. That is a lot of things 
How did that affect you, you know, mentally, relationships? How, how did all of that begin to formulate and, and become a part of who you are? Uh, well, I got to say, I, I think that, um, I think, first of all, I think I get my work ethic from my, from my mom. Um, and I, I have to say this because, you know, my mom and my dad got a divorce when I was really young. And uh, my mom raised five kids as a single mom and she didn't have a job. So she put herself through the police academy in southeast Louisiana and retired as a sheriff uh, assistant warden at a jail. And uh, growing up in that environment, like she she had to sacrifice a lot, had to really lay down the law. And she had a really good work ethic. And I think that's where I get my work ethic from, um, where my dad, he was dealing with other issues. My dad was he was actually a veteran of, of the Korean War and he was a little bit older than my mom. And, um, so growing up in that, in, in that environment kind of affected me for sure. Um, but, um, to, to answer your question, I think, I think there was already a standard that I knew existed and the community always upholds that standard. And there's this vacuum that's created when the standard doesn't reside inside of me. It either pulls me towards it or I reject it. And it ended up pulling me towards it. And um, eventually a person comes to live up to that standard and stays in the community and excels. I'm not saying that I excelled. I'm just saying that I was just on par with because with with what was going on, because I certainly know men that I, uh, that I was able to glean information experience from who who definitely excelled in that in that community but the standard was always there so it sounds to me if i would say we probably don't want to mess with mama rivera that probably makes a lot of sense i mean raising <laughs> five kids being, being a sheriff she she sounds like i mean maybe we should uh, be kind of afraid of her right i mean she set the standard <laughs> man that is awesome the, let me tell you the the way i can explain my mom and she she's right by the way, my mom, she survived Katrina in New Orleans. She survived Maria in Puerto Rico. And, um, you know, that that within itself is, is enough. But to do the things that she did. Now, my mom, she looks black. She she in southeast Louisiana. There's certainly a challenge there. So she's the kind of woman that would always give you respect and, until you take it away. The way the best way I can explain her um, is <laughs> is walking fire. You know, she would give you all the warmth until you get burnt. <laughs> <laughs> definitely sounds like somebody you don't want to cross, but it definitely sounds like through, you know, your, your actions, your lifestyle, you know, carrying that, that kind of mantle, especially into battle, especially into war. I, I bet you, she's very proud of you. I, be, I bet you, she, she, is. she yeah. she's very proud of you for, for not only your accomplishments, you know, as a soldier, as a sailor, as, as a SEAL, but, but let, let's take it, let's take a deep dive into you as a person, because one of the things we had, we had been discussing earlier was, you know, all of the, all of the things and, and the purple heart and, you know, the, the bronze stars and, and the trident that you earn, those things are not given all of that stuff. When you break it all down, you're still a man, right? I mean, you're, you're, you're still a person. You're still, capable of, you know, being flawed and anxiety and, and issues and pain and trouble. Talk to me about kind of your 
PTSD. Talk to me about your, you know, story as far as that goes. And, and then I really want to pivot into Mighty Oaks. And I want to talk about the program and kind of how that program does what it does to help people. So what, what was your story? Yeah, I would, I would say post-traumatic stress, the way it affects a person in the military. Um, it's the, uh, the one thing I would say about it is just, it's a different medium. I think people experience post-traumatic stress a lot, even in eating, even in, even young in life. And, um, for me, I know that, uh, Growing up in that environment, there were certainly challenges. There's things that are still in my mind that I wish weren't. And I know that that affects me going forward. Um, but as far as the military goes, it's just a different medium that I got exposed to trauma. Um, losing friends, uh, being in, in situations where you think, wow, am I going to make it out of this? Or, um, or, or, or doing things where you think to yourself, man, should I have done that? Um, and all these things weigh, weigh, on, weigh on a person. And for me, that going forward, how it manifested was in my relationships. You know, um, when you're in a platoon, when you're, when you're in a family like that in the platoon, you grow together, you become a family, you fight together, you fight against each other, and you sharpen one another. Um, and it's okay when um, when you're fighting amongst one another because you know deep down inside you'll do what you can for your brother. Uh, but it's a different story when you go home and you try to uh, use the ways or the methods that you have learned to cope inside of a platoon. You can't use that in a in like a family environment, and that's when things start to go sideways. That's when character starts to take a hit. For me, that's for sure. I couldn't be this one way at work. Um, uh, I had to be somebody different at home, and that started to cause this this problem. It does. It doesn't sound like it's like a light switch you can turn off and on. I'm I'm this way in this particular place, and I can I can be a completely different person in this other place, right? It's it's not something you just turn off and on. You know, depending on your circumstance, correct? Well, yeah, and you know, I, I think I think for us in this community, who in the SEAL community, I think we're really good at um, at thinking that we can turn these things off and on. Uh, for me, the best way I can explain myself would be like a duck on water, right? On the surface, I'm calm, cool, and collective. Water just runs right off my back, but underneath my feet are just going a million miles a minute yeah yeah um, there's so there's so much going on underneath the surface that i don't think a lot of people see or not not only they don't see but maybe they don't really understand right and so then we start talking about maybe the destructive ways that people deal with stress anxiety post-traumatic stress like you said it, it kind of affects everybody a little bit different and it's not just something for military folks i mean there are there are people who have dealt with you know the stress of losing a loved one the stress of you know uh, uh, all of these different things that go into a, a, a life right and and right. you look at so many different ways to numb something that long term are very 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 detrimental the pills the booze you know the 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 sneaking around and and doing whatever you know sexual temptation things of that nature 
So mm-hmm. when was it and, and how did you come to this, this Mighty Oaks Foundation? How did you come to that? What was, you know, sort of maybe a low point? And then you said, man, wh- what am I doing? Where, where am I at here? Right? Yeah. So when I got out of the military in March of 2015, um, man, I, I I thought to myself, well, I'm done with that part of my life. I need to go learn a new trade. I wanted, I wanted to learn a new trade, even though the things that have occurred while I was in the military um, were affect, you know, contributed to some of the things that were happening at home. Although I thought that I had it all under control, I really did. I think I thought that I really had it all under control. Um, all the while, I knew there was something off between my wife and I. There was something off between my kids and I. And um, everything came to head, I believe, uh, right around 2016, when something occurred with my oldest daughter. And um, man, I felt horrible. I felt it's my fault and I needed to fix it. And um, I tried to help her out and that was the point in my life where I think I can, I can honestly say that I was truly broken. Like there was something broken inside of me after I experienced that, because after I experienced that, the other things that I was compartmentalizing, if you want to call it, the other things that I was uh, uh, dealing with on my own way, I could no longer deal with. And so uh, there just became amplified, you know, anger became amplified. All these other things, short temperedness, uh, thoughts that are going through my mind, they just became amplified. And that's when I ended up walking into um, a VA clinic, uh, actually a VA hospital uh, in La Jolla and um, talking to a nurse practitioner, just spent a few minutes with her. And uh, that's when I thought that my healing began because she decided to, okay, okay, I can, I can point you in this direction and I, I can administer these uh few things that will help you cope. And from that, I went to a psychologist. From that, I went to a psychiatrist. From that, I went to uh, uh, someone offered a, a brain clinic. Someone offered hyperbaric chamber treatment. Someone else offered uh, underwater massage therapy. All these things I put in place to try to help myself out. And they actually, I thought, I felt better. And I thought that I, they were working. This licensed social worker in the VA handed me a pamphlet to Mighty Oaks. And I thought, wow, this is this is interesting. Um, it's a faith-based organization. Let me let me see what it's all about. And I filled out an application, uh, and they said, okay, you got a slot in three months. But during that whole time, I'm still getting help. All these things are I thought were helping me. And that by the end of it, by the time it came for me to go to back to my go to Mighty Oaks, uh, right around June of 2016, I thought to myself, you know what? I'm actually doing really good. Let me turn off this mighty oaks thing. I don't want to take a slot from somebody. So you're you're thinking you're thinking that. you're better. Yeah, I did. I wow. really did think that I was because of all these therapies that I put in place. I thought, wow, I'm actually feeling better. And when I turned off the mighty oaks thing, I told my wife that she stopped. It was like a record getting scratched by the needle, and she just stopped the music. She goes, she looks at me. She goes, No, you don't <laughs> understand. You need help. Wow. You need to go. And that's when I realized that, man, I'm fooling myself. And I ended up going. 
And that was the most impactful, powerful week I've ever had uh, in my life that, that radically changed the way I looked at things, the way I thought about things. My relationships is what really gave me the gauge to realize, man, that, that was really impactful. So, so you have this, this almost prodigal son moment, right? Like, holy crap, what am I doing? And you, you went through what, what I'm going to call the, the conventional stuff. This isn't bad stuff. This is good stuff. This is mental right. health. This is psychologists. This is social workers. You know, you said, I, 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 you know, thinking about the uh, underwater massage stuff. That sounds amazing. Uh, you're, you're doing mm -hmm. all these things. And, and now you're thinking, hey, I'm, I'm feeling kind of better. I'm feeling good. You know, you got the endorphins or whatever the case may be. And, and I, I think it's interesting that your wife just took that stand. Now, Mighty Oaks is a faith-based organization. Mighty Oaks mm -hmm. pointed you towards Christ, correct? Mm -hmm. Did she mm -hmm. know that that was, you know, that that was something that Mighty Oaks was going to do? Or was it just a, you need to do this? What, what, what was the, the feeling there? Yeah, it's a little bit of both. She did know that it was a faith-based organization. She did know that a lot of vets and first responders go to this program and, um, Alongside that, she knew that I was attending all these other therapies, but she just wasn't seeing the improvement that she wanted to see. Wow. So you're, you're feeling better. You're feeling better, mm -hmm. but, but she knows, mm -hmm. hey, this is, still, this is still a long-term issue that we're going to mm -hmm. be dealing with. And, and it sounds right. like it made a very remarkable impact on your life. It, it sounds like mm -hmm. there, is, there is definitely a moment where you can look back and say, Hey, I was, I was lost, but maybe now I'm found. What, what was that like? Yeah. So it, during the week, um, there was an opportunity that, um, that we got and man, I heard the gospel fresh. Like it was, like it was the very first time I've heard it, but which I've heard before, but this time was different. I, and the only thing I can say is at that moment, is when I thought to myself, I, there was this clear thought in my mind that I thought I'm going to, this is where I'm going to put my stake in the ground and to get to know this God who made me. And from that point on, doing that for that reason alone, not to get a reaction from my wife, not to get a, a, a reaction from anyone about me, but for that reason alone, to get to know this God who made me going forward, my wife, my life radically changed. So it's that, so it's that thought process, that understanding I was fearfully and wonderfully made before all of this in Puerto Rico and Louisiana and, and, you know, the seals and the subs and the family, I was fearfully and wonderfully made. I would like the opportunity to know that maker. What an amazing thought, right? To, to have that, especially given, you know, the things that you had went through, right? I mean, you, you talk about that moment of clarity, what then? So, so you go through and, and everything is, is most likely I'm, I'm just speeding up the story in that everything wasn't perfect when you got out. Right. I mean, I'm sure the problems were still there when you got home. Right. But did you feel like you had kind of this, this asset you have, you have this Christ in you that can now help you deal with this? Yeah. So the best way I can explain that is the problems were still at home. Life was still happening, but now I'm equipped to deal with those things. Now um, I'm ready to deal with those things and, and put them in their right perspective. And, and sure enough, things came along that, that, uh, 
that could have easily thrown me off track. But I'm, but but now I'm equipped. Now I'm it, ready. It, it's amazing yeah. to hear you use that word equipped because I, I've read so many different books, uh, you know, different things about you know, Navy SEALs and military men and all of the different, you know, equipment and, you know, we're carrying two and three and four of this and that and 70, 80, 90, 100 pounds, whatever the case may be. Did you feel like when you went into combat, you were equipped with, you know, trillions and trillions of dollars worth of stuff? But sometimes in life, we just don't feel like we're equipped, right? Like, unless you really have the saving knowledge of Christ, what, what do you really have? Right. It, was that, was there a parallel there? Like, wow, now I feel maybe as equipped as I was back when I was in the seals, I feel like I can take care of this. Right. Yeah. So when you train to do something, you train a lot and um, really that really, well, all that really does is freeze your mind up to deal with contingencies because your, 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 your mind, your body, go into this uh, muscle memory mode, but when, when certain things happen, but when things happen that you don't plan for, because you train so much, your brain is freed up to deal with contingencies. That doesn't change the fact that there's still a God. That doesn't change the fact that there's still a sovereign God um, who made me. And I think when I was in Mighty Oaks and, and I'm learning all this information, learning what the Bible says about what it is to be a man. Um, that was still true back then. And I wasn't, for whatever reason, applying it. And, uh, and I would even say um, ignoring it. Wow. So, so what, I, what, I, what I wanted to know is I want to I pivot to the program. Talk to me about the program. Talk to me about, so, so there are specialized tracks for men and for women, right? They're, they're, mm -hmm. they're separate as far as that goes. You do offer things for, um, for couples and, and whatnot, as far as marital help, um, for that. Mm -hmm. So talk to me about the program itself and, and what are some of the things that you guys do? Cause you have several different locations around the country, right? A person reaches out. Now what happens? Right. A person submits, submits an application, uh, they get a response with a request for them to choose a date in the future because we're we're normally planned out. We're usually planned out a year in advance, um, and there's dates that we offer people. The four locations are California, Texas, Ohio, and Virginia. And um, we does, work it, does anybody ever write in and say? Does anybody ever write in and say, "Y'all can go to hell. I'm going to Texas." I'm just curious if that ever happens because that would be the place <laughs> I would want to go, right? So I'm I'm sorry. So you have you have your locate a little bit of levity there. You you have your yeah. locations right. Yeah. I mean, uh -huh. um, amazing. You're you're a year out, so you're going to reach out to them. Hey, where are you going to go now? Now what? Right, and uh, and they commit, and we're working with them. Uh, all the way up until the point that it's time to go. And um, the program is five days long for men, four days long for women. And it's, uh, it's different classes. It's breakout sessions. It's um, getting at the truth. The best way and the more succinct way I can explain it is getting at the truth, truth about God, truth about me, and, and then going forward from that. So it sounds like from, from what you have demonstrated, this was something that was such an amazing 
um, part of your story, amazing part of your life, a turning point in your life. At what point did you say, I, I want to do this? Cause, cause you are the operations manager of the mm. actual program. And, and I'm sure that looks good on a business card and it, it looks good for, but there's a lot of work involved in this. And, and I got to imagine it's probably a labor of love for something that is given so much to you. What, what is it like helping to run the program that has affected your life so, so profoundly? Yeah. So when I got out of my yokes, it so impacted my view on things, uh, um, what I believed, what I knew, what, what was right, what I knew, what was true. And it also impacted my wife. I mean, I merely just wanted to volunteer, help out as much as I could. And I did. That's all I did. I volunteered because I thought to myself, man, other people need to hear this from a, it's a peer led, peer based program from guys who have been there in the same places and, and done some of the same things and they're sharing truth. And, and that's what I wanted to do. Um, so, so you're not, I you're not talking to, to a, volunteer. you're not talking to a literary guy who's written a book on this and who understands the theory and all that. You're talking to somebody who was directly in your shoes, your, you know, your chair, not very long ago, right? Because it's all peer to peer with people who have been through the program. I think that's an amazing thing in and of itself, right? That's right. Yeah. So we offer a leadership program for the guys who want to come back and just pay it forward. And uh, there's two phases. And that's what I went through. I went through the two phases of, of leadership. And there's this gradual process that, that you go through to become a peer leader in the programs. Um, and that's eventually I, I continued on that track and the executive director approached me asking me, uh, if I wanted to be a part of the foundation to, to lead operations for programs. That is, that is amazing. So, you know, the, the last series of questions I have for you is, is, is the, the go see do right. Uh, we're, we're, we're listening to an amazing story. We're listening to, you know, some of the insights from, you know, a, a pretty humble guy. I'm, I'm going to say you, you have a lot to be very proud of just for your service and everything like that. What is, what is the do part? So mighty Oaks, mighty Oaks foundation, what, what are some of the things that they need? Some of the things that you and I talked about is you guys take care of travel to and from. You're housing these people. You're feeding these people. Everything is of no cost to them. What are some of the needs that you have uh, that, that we can help with? Yeah, um, primarily it would be um, let people know that we exist. That's the, that's the number one thing. Uh, the second thing, obviously, would be financing. Um, we're, we're just an org we're a nonprofit with for, with uh, financial donors and uh, our founder and our executive director do a lot of work to ensure people um, that want to contribute to this program know about this program. So I think the word of mouth is is the best thing. So if you know somebody who is who is suffering, if you know somebody who who is going through these issues, a family member, a friend, you know, being able to recommend this program and not that the other programs are bad or the other programs, you know, don't check the boxes, but one of the reasons why I was specifically drawn to this foundation was because of the life-saving message of Christ and how we're going to pair all of this stuff that, that we give you that's good stuff, mental health, all of this great stuff, with the life-saving knowledge of you were fearfully and wonderfully made. Let's reintroduce ourselves to the creator, right? So being able to spread that yeah, message. 
Yeah, and I, I would also say that um, when you're there at the program, the best way that I can explain it to the men that come, because I, I deal with only the men, we have women in our organization that deal with only the women, is that we are there for five days and we get the opportunity to lock arms with each other. We're going in one direction and Christ is the foundation. So before we go, um, I, I want to encourage everybody to to donate. I want to encourage everybody to let people know that this is a viable amazing option for people who are hurting out there and if you think of how humanity right now just as a whole as a planet is hurting this is something that can do a lot of good and this is something that we can support if you could just narrow it down besides yourself obviously being a success story but if you could narrow it down and say hey this is one story i want to share with you of something that i've seen that that made this worth it oh i'm sure there is time there is effort there is there is everything that you put into this they probably can't pay you you know for every single minute that you put in what's one success story that you'd want to share with our listeners that says you know this was something that affected me hey, that's easy the the most impactful story that i have would involves my wife after all this time that she put up with me and the things that i've done and um, and I come home from Mighty Oaks and I, and I want to change. I put all these things in place. She was still expecting me to be the old person. She didn't know this change that would happen so radically, um, happen so fast. And so she was still expecting me to be this old person. Um, and she didn't know it. It was this thing that I was putting her through that is just throwing her for a loop. And for two months, this was happening. But I remember I, I said that... I. I wanted to get this know. I wanted to get to know this guy who made me for that reason. And so while these two months were going through, she was sometimes almost even putting in this gauntlet of expecting me to fail. And there were times when we had our differences, but yet she saw something different because there was true repentance inside of me for the things that I had done. And one morning, uh, I remember her coming down the stairs in a, after about two months of all of this, and she had tears in her eyes, and I'm making breakfast, and she looks at me, and she says, I'm sorry. And, I, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm trying to take inventory of the things that have was it, was it that? Uh, what have I done? Uh-oh, what did I do? Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, she she looks at me, and she says, you know, these past two months have been the best two months of our 14 year marriage. Wow. And at that point, wow. at that moment, I, I, I remember clearly thinking to myself, this is a gift from God to let me know that the path I'm on is the right one. Wow. Talk, talk about validation, right? If you ever, if you ever needed a sign from God, that's like a little wink and a nod, you're doing right, buddy. That's gotta be an amazing thing. Uh, you know, I'm so thankful that you took the time to, to share this story. Um, one of the things that, that I really want to make sure, and we'll put this in the show notes and all of that great stuff on the episode is, you know, the ability to donate. Uh, there's a great big, uh, donate button on the website. We'll throw that up. And, and the biggest thing, like you said, and, and I, I find it, and this is the initial conversation we had, you know, was not, well, Hey, we need to, you know, raise this amount of dollars for this amount of stuff and this amount of things. What drew me after we first spoke was what you had said initially was, we need people to know who we are. 
We need the word to get out that this is available. And so for me, you're putting the help before the money because the help is always going to be there because the money is going to follow. So if you have the opportunity to donate, um, anybody who's listening today, please, please consider this. This is a, a, a mighty oak, mighty oak undertaking, right? Like being able to reach out to these people and being able to give them the life-saving knowledge of Christ um, is truly, truly an amazing challenge. And, and I'll, I'll tell you this, I'm very thankful, Luis, to, just to be able to have met you. And I hope that we can maybe check back, hopefully in a couple of months, see how things Absolutely. are going, see how life is is treating you and see if we can get some more of those victories. Because I'll tell you what, it's amazing to see when lives are changed. Amen. Yeah, I agree with that. You're right. What an amazing interview. That was great being able to talk to Luis Rivera, former Navy SEAL. And he brought up the Mighty Oaks Foundation and mightyoaksprograms.org, mightyoaksprograms.org is the actual web address. And there's going to be a location where we can donate. And here's what I'm asking the crowd. This is what I'm asking the audience. This is what I'm asking the supporters of the Mike is Always Right podcast to do. I'm going to ask you to donate. I know that there are things going on right now. I know there's always expenses. I know that there's always things that come up. But can you donate some money? Can you donate to help stem the tide? Over 20 veterans a day commit suicide. It takes $2,500 to impact one life. Those expenses come down to food, the location, flights to and from and everything that goes from the the books and the pens and the cost of the instructors and everything that goes into it it's roughly $2500 so here is our goal our goal for this audience is to donate $2500 in the next 30 days to the Mighty Oaks programs we want to do that we want to affect at least one life with this podcast if we can do that this is going to be a thing this is going to be something that we do every year we're going to keep this in our memory banks and we're going to donate to a mighty organization that reaches out to people through the the, the message of christ through life-giving message to see people's lives change so when you donate there's going to be a spot that says gift notes gift notes i want you to put in there Mike is always right podcast. That's how we're going to know if we hit our goal. So $2,500 in the next 30 days is going to be our goal. So mightyoaksprograms.org backslash donate. You'll see the big donate button. You can donate monthly. You can donate one-time gift. When you donate, please go to the gift notes and put Mike is always right podcast I want to celebrate this with you when we do hit this goal. We'll check back in with Luis and we'll do some stuff with Mighty Oaks. Remember, we can be the change. Mental health is something that we can embrace. Mental health is something that we can do so that we can all be a little bit better and we can all live our lives uh, in a little bit of a happier state. So thank you so much for listening. Have a great rest of your day.